I said to my investors, this coronavirus thing seems to be real. Uh, should I be worried? And one of my investors replied back, winter is coming. Hi, and welcome to Business Class Money Minutes, powered by American Express. I'm Kate Bassett. And I'm Nigel Cassidy. We've got something really different for this episode. We've lined up four brilliant female entrepreneurs to tell us how they've survived the past year and how they're preparing for the upturn when it comes. They're going to tell us like it is. They've been through all the tribulations of 2020 and now 2021, and they're willing to share some of their best money-saving tips. Our first guest is a serial entrepreneur who is revolutionising the beauty industry. She's Sharmadine Reed, MBE, the founder of War Nails and Beauty Stack, a new beauty booking app which has raised four million in seed funding. But while the beauty and pampering business is on pause right now, she certainly isn't. So welcome, Sharmadine. Hi guys, thank you so much for having me. Just set the scene for us, Sharmadine. What was going through your mind this time last year when things were shutting down across the world? Ooh, so this time last year, I was actually in America, in New York, and they just declared a state of emergency. So as I flew back from New York, I sent an investor update and I said to my investors, this coronavirus thing seems to be, uh, seems to be real. Uh, should I be worried? And one of my investors replied back, winter is coming. Well, as I'm sure you can imagine, as a marketplace that powers beauty services, if our users aren't working, we are not working. So it was actually quite devastating. What makes BeautyStack different is that we have built booking in a social network environment and also in a visual environment, which isn't normal. So what that means is, Kate, if you booked an eyebrow threading on your usual booking service, if I can't follow you, like, save, comment on all of your activity and then book it, you know, it kind of closes the virality of how that practitioner could increase her business. So because our entire model was new, by the time we launched, it was in the middle of the pandemic. So our cash reserves are just going down and down and down while our metrics are essentially completely flat. So just take me back to that cost cutting exercise that you went through. I know you cut 15% off your cost, which is a remarkable figure. Um, talk us through how you did that. Immediately in March, I cut costs straight away, any superfluous projects, anything that wasn't happening. Closing all of those projects immediately just, you know, helped our cash flow immensely. And then you know, I was very transparent with my team. What I didn't do, we didn't furlough anybody. And we also didn't cut any salaries because I felt very strongly that in terms of the anxiety that was happening at the time, it wasn't the right time for us in our small team to cut salaries. But I did acknowledge to everybody that there would be a salary freeze um, until further notice. And then finally, I reached out for discounts on some of our heaviest costs where I could. But I didn't anticipate, you know, like almost everyone, how long this would take. Because you've got to remember, as a, as a technology startup, as a VC bat startup, we're just burning through cash. So by summer, I started to think about long-term business evolutions or pivots that could protect us in, in the future. And I actually just launched our next stage of the business. Talk me through some of those pivots um, that you mentioned. So you launched a new membership platform called The Stack World and you went more into virtual events. So the events system that we built 
has become the foundation for the membership with the Stack World. The first part of the membership launched earlier this week, which is essentially uh, virtual events. The second stage will be to launch the news and editorial arm in March. Can we just get a bit more of a sense of the kind of cost analysis, the budget management you had to do to uh, ensure that uh, it was actually worth hosting this virtual event yourselves rather than uh, using somebody else to do it? On the whole, it's incredibly cost efficient to run a virtual event because you don't have all of the, you know, extra team dressing the event, food, drink. The first time we did the business summit, my events producer was laughing because she was like, I never want to host a real life event ever again she's like I've had to do nothing apart from sit on and press go and actually we managed to do an event for 400 people with literally two two mid 20 year old young ladies organizing it it was incredibly cost effective to move to a membership business model sends our metrics in a completely different direction but it's like one that is reliable recurring revenue you know because I do I do think that There is this really fine line between um, building something that is a very large, fast-growing business and building something that is a very profitable and sustainable business. And I'd like to feel that at any point we could move towards profitability. Not that we are relying on a constant stream of advertising or paid media to be able to generate income. I think times have changed and I think that it's becoming apparent like what's a hype business versus like a sustainable business. You wrote a brilliant blog on all the stuff I got wrong in 2019. Um, What would you say are the main lessons you learned from 2020? My key takeaway from 2020 would be to completely trust your intuition. I knew that we should have built the events feature in March. The first event we did generated three months worth of sales for the beauty professional that we hosted it for. Imagine she's earning a thousand pounds a month. She does one two hour event and she earns 3000 pounds in two hours. I was like, wow, this is like a big deal. And this is before virtual events became the norm, right? And in March, I, I, I was like, we should build this feature. And we didn't actually start doing it until like June. So I think like trusting your intuition would probably be my big takeaway. So, Kate, this is really an impressive story, isn't it? A real insight here into what can be done to shape a business during a really difficult period. And, well, I mean, what a lot she's done. She seems to be really single-minded at freezing all the non-essential projects and, of course, then cutting out the cost of those. And uh, she's launched that new membership scheme, Stack World. And what's really impressed me is that she managed to pivot to running her own online events and that's been a new source of revenue for her. And of course all that will give Beauty Stack a really firm footing as things begin to open up. Like so many in retail, our next guest has had to deal with a slump in sales, shifting spending habits and the closure of her flagship store in Chelsea. She's Polly McMaster, the entrepreneur behind the British fashion label The Fold, which is aimed at professional women. Let's just see how she coped with this and many more challenges to her original business model. So welcome, Polly McMaster. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. 
So Polly, you've spent the past decade building up a successful business and then overnight the world changed. Can you talk us through the impact of the pandemic on the Folds turnover and some of the most significant and immediate changes you had to make? Most of our product is smart workwear or clothing that you wear to go somewhere, whether it be an event or present at a conference, something like that. So naturally, when we were suddenly facing a situation completely unprecedented, where we were being told to stay at home, you then had really no good reason to be buying into product that you were mainly wearing to either go to an office or go to an event. So we were looking at it in a very, very short time scale as all sorts of scenario planning that we could see across many different aspects of the business. And we then had to temporarily close our flagship store which is in Chelsea which was quite a big contributor in terms of you know revenue to our business so overnight what was about 15% of our sales you've just shut the door on straight away. Did you plan for the worst case scenario then and how did you do that? We we literally went into absolute planning mode so myself and our CFO and our board we spent a huge amount of time literally going through as many different business scenario planning as we could. Things like what happens if the warehouse closes and effectively the worst case scenario that we anticipated was what if we literally have zero sales for a period of let's say two months and we we ran a scenario then to say well what would happen to our cash, what would happen to the business, how dire would that be and, and so we would then run everything through all areas of the business right down through the cash flow and we were looking at well in that scenario what runway do we have so for us and for many small businesses and really for every business cash is the bottom is the bottom line so it's saying you know how long can we actually survive pay the bills pay the team keep everything going in a situation where we actually got to zero and again the big focus was was about cash and how long we could you know sustain the operation if things were worse than even than we thought so to sustain the business through that worst case scenario um where did you go about cutting costs and how did you do it i understand that you did your own version of the furlough scheme before the government announced the national one the priority was how many you know try and save as many jobs as we can and are there going to be any areas where there are going to be people where we could say well maybe they just don't need to work for a certain period of time and this was as you say before the government actually announced the job retention scheme so at this stage we were very much trying to come up with our own solutions of how we were going to manage it so we effectively effectively were looking at a version of a furlough scheme where we could say well if we think those people are going to come back to work in this time frame could we effectively take some of that salary from that time frame and spread it out over a, a certain period of time so that even if they weren't working they would have some level of income so that was one approach that we took which then ended up being replaced by the the government furlough scheme which was really important for us because with having to close the store some of us in the senior team sort of effectively reduced our salaries to zero for a certain point and then certainly took quite a long payment holiday as long as we could possibly manage it. And really across the whole team, we said, well, if everybody sacrifices a bit, we'll be able to hold on to more jobs. What we did was any single incremental trading that we had over and above our sort of base case scenario that we planned for, what we called our COVID forecast, we really then just reinvested back in the team. And so as we could, we would sort of nudge either people's hours back up or we would, you know, bring their hours and their pay back up. 
So has your overall marketing spend remained the same, but you've just dialed up or down in different channels? It's gone down because overall, compared to 2019, which for us was a massive growth year. So before the pandemic, we'd been growing 60 to 70% a year, which is a huge number in terms of business growth. And then we were looking at a year where in terms of our COVID forecast and because we wanted to be conservative with our cash, we didn't want to put that much risk into our inventory, um, especially given the end use of our product being more around people going off to work or occasions. So we really changed our expectations for the year and brought down our planning. So the marketing planning was reduced in line with our revenue planning. And let's say overall for the year, we were planning to be somewhere, we were actually planning, you know, for the worst case would have been sort of, let's say 30 to 40% down, but actually we ended up trading much better than we thought during COVID. So that was good. So we ended up um, still being down on the 2019 number, but it wasn't as bad as we thought, which was, which was really good. I think is so important whenever you've got times like this, where you've got these big changes and a lot of stuff happening is, go to the front line and actually ask the customer what they think. So we did a, a very big and very detailed customer survey, which was under the guise of the, the new workwear code. And what we were asking our customers is, what do they think the future of workwear is going to be? Are they excited to get back to the office? What was the meaning of that for them? And that's where we've really been able to take a lot of learnings and built that into our product development as we then were planning for the spring season, because obviously there was still a lot of uncertainty with that. So lots of Zoom-ready tops and elasticated waistbands. Exactly, exactly. Anything with the word elastic in it has done very well. <laughs> <laughs> so looking ahead, how do you make sure the business stays resilient so it could survive another blow? And um, what have you learned from all this? So many things we've learned about, about the business. And actually during this time, I would say we've also made a lot of improvements. I think one of the things that we've learned is around diversification. And there's lots of different ways to do that. But, you know, international is one way to do that. So in a time like this, we've got the benefit of being a, you know, a effectively virtual and an online business. How can we make sure that we're getting to as many women as we can who are then exposed to different changes within different markets and different cycles? And we actually saw that Although our US business was not as buoyant during the pandemic, but for example, our rest of world business, so not the US and not the UK, grew over 100%. And that was during a pandemic year, which was incredible and a really good result to see. Okay, well, I must say, Kate, the one thing that really struck me here was that as soon as uh, this company just made a little bit more than the worst case scenario, they were immediately ploughing that back into the future. In other words, you just can't remain forever in survival mode. They've still got this sort of uh, growth imperative that they're just desperate to get back to. That's right. And it sounded like Polly's been on quite a roller coaster ride over the past few years. And it was really about getting off the roller coaster, taking stock of costs, looking at areas of risk and where she could add strings to the bow. And fantastic. International sales up by 100% in spite of everything we've been through. It's a big world out there. And I guess with Brexit, we just have to remember not to be distracted by some of these short term frustrations. No matter the size of your business, American Express has your back. Our range of business cards gives you greater control over your cash flow. So you'll have the flexibility to respond to change and chase opportunities. Plus, you can earn rewards from your day to day spend and invest it back into your business. Visit americanexpress.com slash uk slash business card to learn more. Terms apply. 
What struck us about our next guest is her forensic attention to detail. She knows exactly what's going on in her company's bank account and monitors every penny that goes in and out. She's Suki Jutler, who clearly brings a lot of rigour and good financial habits from her old job as a management consultant before leaving five years ago to launch Market Orders, which is an online marketplace connecting independent jewellery retailers with wholesale suppliers. Welcome, Suki. Hello. Thanks for having me on the show. You're very welcome. Now, tell us a bit about the service that you provide. I mean, what is the business model? So how, in good times, do you make all your money? So what we do at Market Orders is we seamlessly connect retailers, jewellery shops, directly with suppliers, and they can source their gold and diamond products directly from suppliers. I was really surprised to find out when I entered this industry that everything was done almost face to face and there was just so much paperwork involved and I was really surprised when many retailers didn't even have email addresses. So when I was starting my business and I would always say to them, why don't you email me your orders? And they would say, oh, what are you talking about? You're just supposed to walk into my store with a briefcase full of gold and then I can pick what I want and then I'll pay you on the spot. So this was a really sort of archaic and old fashioned industry and coming from quite a technological and banking environment, you know, my alarm bells were just ringing, mainly because perhaps I just didn't want to do all the legwork. And I just thought it would be way easier if uh, we could just bring the entire process online. So that's what we, we are building and creating at Market Orders. So we were, you know, spending um, a lot of our spend was going on innovative technology such as blockchain and we were creating an updated and brand new marketplace and we were just about to launch when COVID hit. And so because we couldn't basically take orders because retail shops were closed and on top of that, retailers are now sitting on stock that's sitting in their stores. They were very, very unlikely to be looking to purchase new products. So we took the decision not to launch the brand new marketplace. And we decided to sort of just double down on building the technology. Now, in the good times, people like to go to the pub on a Friday, but uh, you don't do that. Oh, no, you have, uh, I gather, something called Financial Friday, where you start going through the bank account. Uh, I guess you would say it's got to be done. Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, you could probably say my Fridays are a bit of a highlight because um, I actually even mark it on my calendar. It's called Financial Fridays. And yes, it might sound like a really cheesy concept, but the number one factor most startups and businesses fail is because they simply don't have an awareness of ingoings and outgoings of cash. And Market orders is not my first business and I have learnt in a very hard way that when you don't look after the pennies, you really are going to actually go downhill. So what I do is I literally go um, open the bank account and I look at every single transaction and then I ask myself, do I recognize this transaction? Um, If it's a yes, then it's fine. But then there are sometimes some transactions that I don't uh, recognize. Um, And so then I go and investigate them. So I'll give you one recent example. You know, sometimes providers, service providers do send you emails and perhaps they do get lost. But when money's leaving your bank account, when it's gone, it's gone. So I noticed a transaction. It was for my hosting provider. Now, I knew we had made a payment to them about a month ago and then they were charging me another hundred pounds. So I didn't recognize that. So I logged into 
the account of the um, uh, hosting provider and I saw that they were actually charging me for a service for every it, it had been set up for every six months the service was being renewed so it's basically the security on the website so when I saw I was paying a hundred pounds every six months for security I asked myself why are two payments going out why you know it really should be one yearly payment so I phoned up the hosting providers and I asked them why why I was being charged twice a year and they said oh that was a default setting when you signed up but what we can do is actually switch you to a year-long renewal subscription and we'll charge you the same amount so that was when I really noticed and started to understand that you actually have to take control of your finances. So it's a kind of two-stage thing. It's firstly actually getting your head around what the transactions are. And sometimes that can be quite difficult, can't it? Identifying what a, a bank entry actually represents. And then uh, getting on the phone or getting online and, if necessary, cancelling or renegotiating. Yes, absolutely. And yes, it does sound like, you know, a bit of a pain to pick up the phone. I mean, who likes, you know, talking these days? It's all done on WhatsApp or emails, but it really does help. And if I can just give you perhaps another example, my broadband was up for renewal and I got a text message saying your contract is over and you can continue to use the service. But what they didn't do was tell me that the new price had increased by £15 a month for the same level of service. So what I did last Friday was I called up my broadband provider and I said to them, I will basically leave you guys unless you can give me a competitive rate. And they actually gave me a cheaper rate. So I was paying, actually, I could say I saved 30% on my Wi-Fi monthly cost just because I picked up the phone and I just renegotiated the contract. I think it's also a good habit to have because this habit you can, but you will basically extend it into other critical and, and core processes. And I think also that many of us don't actually question or have the courage to negotiate a better price. Sometimes we just think we have to accept what's given to us. Our last guest is an entrepreneur whose business style is an object lesson in the benefits of constantly revisiting everything you do in the hope of finding better and cheaper ways of doing things. Hannah Rhodes has literally created a real buzz in the beer world. She launched Hiver Beers in 2013 out of a passion for craft beer and urban beekeeping. Her range of honey beers is now stocked in Waitrose and behind the bar at some of the country's top hotels when they're open. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So, Hannah, there you were with a lovely product carving out a particular route to market and suddenly that was lost. So what were the first things you did? How did you go about cutting costs without sort of decimating this lovely business you were building for the future? Overnight, revenues in the business dropped to about 12% of what they'd been even the week before. And we were in a position where, because of the time of year that it happened as well, we'd been stock building for what was due to be quite a prosperous spring for the business. And the plan and the turnaround couldn't have been more extreme. So um, stock write-off has been a real challenge for us over the last 12 months. So I think quickly identifying how long we had left on some of the stock that we'd built up. Was there any way of getting beer that was in kegs? back into tank that could then go into bottle or another format so quite a lot of quick thinking and and calling in favors has anybody done this before getting seller technicians to the tap room 
looking at the tap room as a business as a whole. So I think the future of the tap room looked very shaky. By the time it was two, three, four weeks in, the vision was just starting to go a little bit more from one week ahead to two weeks to a month or two. And the furlough scheme really helped. And I think one of the beautiful things that's happened is um, this shift from uh, internal overhead, some fixed cost, to more of a, an outsourced third-party model. And that has been night and day difference, I think, not just in terms of cost to the business, but quality, expertise that is surrounding the business and supporting it. A much more easy and natural conversation around uh, return on investment when you're employing a third party to do a project for you. It's less kind of combative than it is to sort of, you try and instill that in your internal team members, but you know, not everybody is as thick skinned and can necessarily flourish under that pressure. If you take something like marketing, I mean, what sort of savings would you see by bringing somebody in to run a project rather than putting a a staff person, indeed, probably need to be quite a senior person on it? Exactly. So I was quite lucky as lockdown hit, I was about to start recruiting for a marketing manager. So I guess a good marketing manager for a brand the size of Hivers is maybe between 50 to 60,000 pound salary plus bonuses and the rest. I quickly realised that we really didn't know our consumer as well as we should. We, we didn't have a kind of handle on the messages that were connecting and this was a real opportunity to do it. So we started working with a brilliant business called The Copy Club and they have a beautiful way of describing it, which is a, a timeshare in a marketeer. So we've been able to turn projects on and off with those guys. I mean, our overheads as a whole, uh, we've saved about £125,000 year on year from the shift of internal expertise on with fixed overhead to third parties around the business. So I think in comparison to, say, mid-50 salary plus bonus, we've spent about £43,000 this year across agencies. And, you know, our online has grown from what was about £20,000 the year before. So very carefree, you know, like small beer sales, really, to um, it's generated £150,000 in revenue. So to have made a saving, to be surrounded by experts and to have driven that kind of um, growth is, you know, that's the stuff that you want from your, you know, a year, isn't it? Kind of just bringing all this together, what do you think you've really learnt from everything that's happened? Because, I mean, it's pretty clear, uh, I mean, it's implicit in what you say, that your business will never go just back to where it was going before. I think one thing we've done really well is just make lots of small changes um, step by step this year. So it's really forced us to be more agile than ever before. I think working with third party experts has been the real joy. And and I feel like that is the thing that's going to give us, it's going to be the foundation for our growth in 2021. So as long as some uh, project is going to work for both parties, I think you're in a stronger negotiating position to say, we can't afford that retainer. But could you, you know, if you're so confident of the results, could we, could we work on a commission basis or could we be part return a part commission and find a way through together and obviously then when you hit those targets you're everybody is just is celebrating it feels like we know a little bit more what we can expect from 2021 so putting a bit more strategy in place and learning from our new data dashboard which is spitting out some of these stats and facts that we didn't have before so is that something that you bought in this dashboard to give you more management information Absolutely. We found that we were leaking margin in online. So we were looking at the monthly management account pack, really just at a revenue and and EBITDA level, and we could see 
there's something not working about online. We're, we're growing in revenue, but we, we're leaking margin somewhere. We've got to get to the bottom of it. And I think because stock was flying around all over the place to new third parties, and we're buying in lots of new packaging and repacking things, it really needed a tight stock control module that our finance director brought in. Uh, so we made the decision to invest in three to four days of her time. She's a consultant, and uh, she suggested this brilliant piece of software I can now say it's a brilliant piece of software um, called Dear and it just sits over the top of all of our platforms and pulls the data in and it was a bit painful for the first six weeks it was quite a lot of team time like a couple of hours each week kind of going through the nuts and bolts but it has now saved man hours it's meant we can be really specific on exactly where the wastage is coming and yeah it's just helped us be more lean and efficient so as a result, we were able to identify which gifting products, which aren't our traditional, you know, if you think beer comes out of the brewery and we've got a case of this, a case of that, and a keg of this and a keg of that, it's very specific. And all of a sudden we've got a whole host of gifting products and hampers for online that are a mesh and we, we couldn't work out which products were generating margin and which weren't. And this dear dashboard costs us probably 250 quid a month as a bolt-on and probably saves, uh, I mean, it's sped up our management account process, saves a few hours each week of data entry for our bookkeeper. So yeah, I think learning which add-ons and which apps and what bits of technology are critical and can save you time and money is, um, it's been a good learning curve. I don't know what about you, Nigel, but what's really stood out for me is how Hannah's moved to an outsourced model, and that's really helped to bring in quality and expertise and professionalism into the business. Mm, I like the way she's sort of talking about her finance director, but actually this is a consultant and also obviously uh, these other uh, people are working for a number of different people. They're very keen to keep the business. So, I mean, uh, let's be blunt about it these people are going the extra mile and the business is benefiting and 125k of savings year on year not to be sniffed at so Nigel we've heard from four really amazing entrepreneurs today about how they've tackled these challenges and come up with some really creative ways to save money and even launch new products yeah I mean Sharma Dean Reed founder of Beauty Stack really kind of reinvented her business from working on that event system an idea she clearly had in the back of her head but was kind of unleashed while she was uh, nailing down costs and not able to do things she was pushing ahead with something which is really going to change how she works forever and I was impressed that Polly launched her own furlough scheme before the government even announced theirs and I loved hearing about Suki's financial Fridays she takes a really disciplined approach to her finances Hannah Rhodes, disciplined as well, founder of Hiver Beers, placing, as a lot of them did, quite a lot of reliance on third-party suppliers rather than uh, increased costs from doing things in-house. And I think that even though the last year has been such a dark, tough time for so many entrepreneurs, actually we've heard how they've used this as an excuse to build a leaner business. If you are a small business owner looking for new ideas for the latest trends and insights, then American Express has a world of content for you. Yep, and make sure you check out the Business Class Trends and Insights Hub for everything related to small business finances at americanexpress.com slash uk slash business class. And don't forget to subscribe to Business Class Money Minutes. Which you'll find wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an edition. But until next time, from Kate and me, it's goodbye and take care. Bye. Bye.